Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. You're listening to Season 6 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture, to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out, and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried fam. Today we have a very special interview. They're always special, but some of them are a little more special than others. And we're going to be talking about, this is your introduction to the start of two episodes, I hope, fingers crossed that it works out, on teacher burnout. And we're doing this for Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts next week. And I just wanted to take some time to focus on this subgroup of people who have such a massive influence in our lives. In addition to that, the teacher that I'm talking to today is a dear friend of mine from Prague, previous patient, and someone who I just find incredible on so many levels. So today we get to talk to Nikki Hume, who is a proficient educator and learning leader who currently teaches art at the International School in Manila. Nikki empowers colleagues to embrace both the joy and the struggle of teaching and learning. She believes in inclusive learning practices, contributes to her school community as a representative of cultural competency, is an ally, and advocates for equity and change in schools. Nikki is well known in her learning community for modeling work-life balance. She believes every teacher has the power within them to create and uphold boundaries so they can consistently show up and be the teacher they were designed to be. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be here, honestly. I just not can't even stand know, it. <laughs> yeah, and not only because I know you and have our, you know, longevity of a relationship, but I am a avid fried listener. <laughs> Everybody hear that? Avid fried listener over there. <laughs> yeah. And and also a special shout out and thank you to Nikki for waking up at the butt crack of dawn in Manila to record this episode with us because, you know, time changes are can be a little challenging. So thank you for that. Actually, I'm in Malaysia right now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm at a I teacher's forgot. conference. So, you know, but it's still the same time zone as right. Manila. So it's not so bad. <laughs> but, st- but still. All right. So we start, as you well know, we start every episode of Fried with the guest's burnout story. So I'm going to take a step back and give you some space to share your journey. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I think, you know, I was preparing a little bit thinking about, I know my two burnout stories and I can talk about them and that's what I will talk about. But I also feel like I got a 0.5 that's like coming on. So I'm going to address that and lead, that'll help us lead into a little teacher talk. But, um, you know, my both of my burnout stories are very much linked to what you talk about as the 
the internal um, factors of burnout. So for me, it's a lot of perfectionism that I just can't overcome and people pleasing at times. And then there's an occasional sprinkling in of the lack of boundaries here and there. So my first burnout story I'll talk about is actually going to bring me in my 30s and then we'll go backwards because that's really important to my journey and understanding burnout and why I do what I do today. So my first burnout story was because of the, the ending or in the messiness of a relationship. And, you know, fortunately, I was. I knew you at the time. And so through that, I was able to process all of that information. But being in a long distance relationship as I was at the time, I was living in Prague. My partner was living in New York. Um, that was a lot of stress. There's a lot of expectations on who travels where. There's a lot of expectations, especially as a woman in your 30s. Um, you know, who, are you getting married? Are you going to be living together? So all of these external expectations ended up and I internalized. And because of my perfectionism, I was like, this is not perfect. This is not working. And it was just really hard. So the end of that relationship was really a good thing for me. Um, but it was hard. And at the time living, I think in Prague, um, you know, I have my community and my family there, but I didn't have, I think, you know, my mom <laughs> and, and I just felt like it was really hard to end that relationship in that way. Um, but I had you. And so I'm really fortunate to have been able to process that, um, the grief and the loss of an end of a relationship. But it was really through that, that you helped me realize that heartbreak is, it hurts and it, and it's a real part of you, but it's not the end of you. Right. And it's not like, I wasn't a broken person because I had these expectations either but I needed to manage them a little bit more um, and be a little more realistic, both with myself and with my, my partner. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that that's translated into, you know, my current partnership. But the other thing was it helped me discover that, hey, I've already been burned out before. And I didn't know. I just, because at that time, it was in my early 20s and I didn't have the words. I'm not sure that many people probably had the words, you know, in 2000 what was it, 1998, 1990, you know, somewhere in that range of like the, my early 20s, my mid-college um, career, I'm not sure that any of us would really have known what, what burnout was. So, you know, what happened for me was I, I when I graduated high school, I decided to be a, uh, I was going to be a nurse. So I went to school for um, all the pre-professional <clears throat> what do you call them? Prerequisites, right? That you have to yeah. take. And to be honest, I wanted to be a journalist. Like my friend, closest, one of my closest childhood friends and I would, you know, do interviews and, and I wrote for the school newspaper and I, I really loved writing and that's what I wanted to do. But growing up in the family I did and, and, you know, the family I love and I, I respect, um, a blended family with a lot of other expectations and being the oldest child at that time, I had the people pleasing for sure learned that was learned for me, but it was something that I think I internalized as well. And instead I decided to follow the path, which let me be clear, was not told to me I had to do so. But it was a suggestion, right? You would be really good at this. And I trust mm -hmm. my family and my mom and my dad and figured, yeah, that sounds like something I could do. 
So here I am midway through university or college, as we say in America, and this is not what I want to do. And I just don't know how to handle it because I don't want to disappoint anybody, but I also mm-hmm. feel really, um, <clears throat> I'm just lost. I mean, I, I didn't know how else to describe it. It was just lost. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And here I had put, you know, money into university to do all of this work. And then I'm thinking, what a waste, right? And I don't want to waste. My parents did not raise me to waste money. Um, so that was a really hard time. And if I'm honest, I, I started skipping classes. I started failing out of school. I was numbing and masking all of the responsibility of having to have any kind of conversation, whether it was with myself, with my guidance counselor, with my parents, um, by day drinking. And I, I definitely did, you know, smoke a lot of pot with my friends. And it was not, you know, I mean, it was really fun. Don't get me wrong. I had a great time, <laughs> but it was not what I was supposed to be doing to finish university and move into being an adult and having a career. So um, for me, that that was probably a pivotal moment, but that I don't, that I can only say now that I've been through burnout for another reason. And then also becoming a teacher that I can tell you like, oh yeah, okay. I understand what was happening there. Right. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I was able to be brave eventually and tell my parents that that's not what I wanted to do. And fortunately, the Dean of Students said to me, this happens. (laughs) This happens to a lot more people than you think. And you just need to decide what you think your credits that you've already taken um, might be able to be transferred to. And so he actually suggested taking some time off and taking a what we would call a term right and Mm -hmm. I guess we call that um a semester must have been like yeah and we would say a semester but really we went terms we went three terms Mm -hmm. at my school so it's like three quarter it was like summer was a quarter right so I this was had to be somewhere in fall term and then he suggested taking some time off for the winter term and then seeing by spring term what I might be interested in. And he suggested getting a work study job at school or trying one or two of those within the rest of that school year. Um, and that's how I ended up getting a job at the preschool, uh, being a like a uh, four hours, three times a week in a preschool classroom at the Child Development Center on campus. Um, and that was the door that opened to my teaching world. So what a support. That burnout. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we're really lucky to have, I felt, so I went to Portland State University I'm from Portland, Oregon, originally. Uh, well, not originally. I'm from, I was born in North Dakota, but um, yeah, but I was raised in Oregon and that's where I spent my time. And I, I don't know, I was really grateful to have had um, like a dean of students and, and a, a counselor I could see at school who won. I mean, the counselor at the health center was pivotal too, because even though I don't, I can't, I, I can't tell you that she would have said that I was burned out or anything. Like, to be honest with you, there, that language wasn't there, but I was overwhelmed. I remember yeah. hearing I was overwhelmed. So, yeah. And, and that was the door that opened <clears throat> to my teaching world. So I, I guess, you know, when we say that the universe opens up pathways for us, that was definitely 
the journey I was supposed to take. Yeah, because so I, I want to go been... back to an idea. I want to yeah. go back to the idea of I already spent this money. I've already invested and I don't want to mm. disappoint people and I don't want to, you know, wait, waste basically. And there's a term for this because it's such a common emotional space. And it's not something that we've mentioned on the podcast before, but another burnout specialist who um, I connected with on Instagram is Ricky, the burnout coach. He's a um, physical therapist. So he does a lot with healthcare professionals posted about it recently. So it's been in my mind. And the term is called the sunk cost fallacy. And I, when I typed it into Google just now, just to see what came up, the definition that pops up is this is a logical fallacy, logical fallacy. So we start with there that entails sticking with a losing or failed venture because you've already invested a significant amount of time, money or other resources that you can't get back. And then it says underneath it, there's another little like note that says, we're making decisions that are irrational that lead to suboptimal outcomes because of these things that we've already lost and already spent. And this is something that comes Ooh. up so frequently in burnout because people are like, well, I spent 20 years of my career here. I did all the, I can't give it all up now. Then it wouldn't mean anything. And you were in a, a, a very short period of time, maybe a little more sensitive about finances at that point because you're trying to be an adult and plan your life and not waste resource. Like, you know, that's, it's a different uh, perspective at that time, but this is such a common idea. And had I stuck to that idea, no one would be able to listen to this podcast because I'd be just seeing acupuncture patients 45 to 50 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's really important to think about because even when I said it out loud, like at the time, that's what I'm thinking. But now yeah. when I'm telling the story, I'm like, well, it obviously wasn't wasted time because you learn all these lessons, first of all. So I think it's also how we perceive investment, right? I often say, say this a lot, like, you know, it, it, your investment is often, it's perceived. Right? So you, yeah. you, you think you know what your investment is, but really you're making one choice and the investment is either going to be really good for you or it's going to put you to a position where you're like, hmm, maybe that wasn't such a great choice, but now I have the opportunity to make this other choice. So either way, it's an investment in who you are as a person. It's an investment in your journey, you know. And as my dad always said, you know, we diversify our investments so that you're always kind of knowing, like, if this doesn't work out, then you could always do this. So there's also that. Now, as a college kid, that well, I was just going to school, you know, yeah, it's just yeah, going yeah. to school, doing my thing, you know, yeah, definitely hoping that someday I would be able to, <clears throat> that money that you spend for college education would be able to, you know, find its way back into my pocket as I become an adult and have my own career, but, you know, yeah, and it did eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted yeah. to to talk about that extra for a moment, because I know there's so many people out there that have that feeling and I wanted to name it because sometimes when we name things, it's easier for people to handle to be like, oh, that's an actual thing. And I can make a decision about mm -hmm. it. When when we can't name things, sometimes it's hard to realize that we can change them, I think. Same yeah, with burnout. For sure. Yeah. I mean I was burned I mean, out for ages before I heard about well. burnout. Yeah. 
Well, and I'm, yeah, when you have the language for it, you know, well, and that's what you just said leads, you know, pretty easily into a little bit of the international teaching world because, you know, I taught for nine years in the States before I even went um, to teach abroad. And, you know, I have to say it's, it's also pretty easy to just get into, um, at least for me at the time, it was easy to get into a little bit of a routine, right? So I had my I had my friends in, in like, you know, this part of uh, the city and I had my friends in this part of the city in these groups. But I always, I went to work, like school was work in the same way that like my mom went to the office and those, she had work friends and then she had home friends and then we had neighborhood friends. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I guess I, I felt a little bit more um, like it was a job. Like, that's like school and work, like teaching in the States. And I, and I, I don't, shouldn't generalize that because it's not the same for everyone. But for me, it was just that's my place of work. And then, you know, you go overseas and it's all infused together, like work and your friends and your, they become your family and they're your support network. And there are like all the things. And so it's harder to like separate and, and have some of those boundaries. But the purpose in saying that is that, you know, there comes a point where you have to make a decision for yourself. Are you going to stay at this school? Are you going to stay in this grade level? Are you know, are you going to decide to move forward? And if you haven't had some fairly significant, um, I don't know, some fairly significant situation where you've been asked to do those things rather than just choosing it, then though, you know, that can feel really hard. So I feel that because of that first burnout story, I've been pretty prepared in my life for some shit just might not work out and you're okay. And you've often told me like, if this doesn't work out, you'll be okay. Right. Because that's like your inner knowing, as you talk about the inner knowing is so important as a teacher, like you have to stay with your inner knowing. And that's how you know what, what, uh, you know, I even look up and decide, are there other options? Right. Um, so I, you know, I think when I when I hear people talk on your podcast about their burnout story and how it's led them in certain journeys, it just always resonates because I'm like, yeah, that's if I didn't have my burnout story. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have them? Sure. But to be honest, it's really made a huge difference in my world. And so those lessons are super important. And it's why, why I speak up about it a lot at school now, too. That it's okay. Yeah. If you don't want to do this role, if you don't want to teach this grade level this year, if you don't want to take on this extra, don't do it. Right? Like, you have to decide. Because if you love teaching and you don't want to burn out from it, you don't want to make a full career choice, which, you know, change, which is also okay. But if you don't want to do that, then you have to protect yourself when you're in it. Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. 
You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Yeah, so I, this idea of being an international school teacher and having your community be a little insular, right? Because you have, your, yeah, your, like you're saying, your school friends, your work friends, your family, like everything is from the same community, which is on one hand, when you're moving abroad, a wonderful benefit, as we both know, mm-hmm. because when you move to a place and you have automatic people for you, it makes moving a hell of a lot easier and keeps you in this community of a limited number of people and experiences, et cetera, and doesn't necessarily allow you as much connection with the community. Like the difference for me here is this. When I was in Warsaw, all, almost all of my patients were Polish and my husband was there with his friends, so we were with Polish people all the time. I had nothing to do with the international community in Warsaw. Nothing to do with it. Yeah. It just I, I met a couple of people, but it wasn't I, I had a Polish community. When I went to Prague, I didn't have a community and the international community became mine. Like thank goodness, because that was most of my practice was teachers from the international schools. Right. So (laughs) this is, I I was in that community right away, but my integration into Prague was much different than my integration into Warsaw because of that. Mm. So do you think that having that like sort of automatic community when you move schools is a burnout prevention factor or a burnout risk factor? Yeah, that's a good question. You right. know, I think we don't have to have a well, right answer, just you know, know. thinking about it. Well, you know, when you first like when you first said it, I was like, hmm, I well, I, my my initial response would be it, it can be both. It depends who mm. you are. Because for me it's been both. Mm. But I think it's probably the way that you look at it, because okay, so let's go back to for a moment that colleagues aren't just your colleagues in the international world, right? If you don't make an effort to find people outside of school, as you're saying, whether it's local, um, you know, uh, local connections in the community. So people who are non-school teachers, but who are also maybe, um, you know, what we call expats, right? Or locals to that country. So when I was in Prague, it'd be Czechs you know, or other people, but they're not teachers. And in in Manila, you know, that can be hard to do. It's just, it's different. So that can be stressful. Like that can actually be a stressor is that you need to find people outside of school because that's better for you, but you can't because there's a language barrier or there's where you live. You know, not all um, international schools run the same in terms of how they have your housing, right? So I think it probably really depends on who you are. 
For me, I'm more introverted. So I don't need as many friends. I do like to have a variety of friends, meaning I make friends across the school and in other divisions. Okay. So I don't have to always be friends with the elementary teachers, though I'm often very friendly with them. And I see them more as my colleagues at times. My closest friend right now is a, a, a high school teacher, right? When I was in Prague, some of my closer friends were in different parts of the section. So you can, you know, in, if you're thinking about like, if, when I was a teacher in the States, like I said, my friends were not, like my closest friends were not teachers, first of all. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that too, because that's a balance thing, right? For me, my, my closest friends were people I'd grown up with. And they were people I'd met like in college, right? Mm -hmm. But we all had different paths. And then I had work friends too. So you can create that. But I had a, a better separation. I had a little bit better balance. Uh, for me in Prague, initially, I didn't have that. That was my hardest transition going to Prague. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was a stressor. And it right. could have burned me out. But again, I come back to... I knew I was ready to try something different. I knew I was ready to not teach in the U.S. to, to uh, broaden my horizons. I've always wanted to travel. I'd always wanted to be in that, um, I don't know, just to do something different because I'd always been the kid that was at home or the kid that was stateside when my brothers had already traveled and done things. Um, my sister had already lived overseas, you know. It's like, so I had to kind of check that a little bit maybe and decide to not let it burn me out and change my pathway, right? So that comes back to my story, right? You can also make choices to not put yourself in a position where you're questioning, why did I do this? All of the things. Um, at my current school, it's huge. It's, it's so much bigger than, than when I was teaching in Prague. Um, though my lifelong friends are the, the few people, my Prague family, right? So yeah. again, I've kept that and I still have my, my, you know, closest friends from my childhood. And then I've let go of other friendships too. And that also gave me again, the balance of, um, the fear of missing out. So you know, mm. when you, when you live far away from your family, right, whether you choose to or not, okay, there is moments where they're all celebrating, you know, Christmas or Easter or a birthday or something and you get the photos because mom wants to share them with you and I want to see them and I want to be part of it but I also have I often get the like oh, I want to be there too right but I chose to be here and then you kind of go a little back and forth with yourself with a little guilt and then you're like no it's okay you know <laughs> life's okay well again. this is interesting because <laughs> if your executive functioning is offline this sort of emotional reasoning is almost impossible to do. So you might find yourself being like, well, I've just got to get out of here and go home because I can't handle this level of emotion. And it might not be what you, what you really and truly want, but you don't have the ability to sort of like rationalize your mm -hmm. way through it, which is an interesting thing to think about. But now I want to get to make sure we get to teachers. Yeah. You're with teachers. You're a teacher. You've been a teacher for a long time. You're with teachers all day, every day. Why do you think the levels of burnout in teachers are so high? Because they're astronomical. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's just um, teachers in one country, right? Especially after a, 
a global pandemic, it's been, um, I find even seeing the number of teachers that I started with four years ago in Manila who've moved on, um, I think part of it is unreasonable expectations. And I, I really do think that, um, it's a lack of an understanding of collaboration and what that means for teachers within like working within teams and, and within um, like teachers connecting also to administrative support. Okay. Um, back up. We're going to go okay. into the expectation thing first, because you just, you yeah. just went on a journey and I was like, wait, I yeah. need to get on the boat. When you say <laughs> that there's some sort of misplaced expectations, what are you thinking of? What do you mean when you say that? Well, when you sign on for a job as a teacher, you you know your job description. You're going to be in a classroom more likely. So if you're a teacher, I'm not going to speak to the other roles in education for right now. So if I generalize, just know I'm, t- I'm like the teacher. Okay? You, you sign on. You know that you're going to teach this curriculum. You know that you're going to be in this classroom. You know that you're going to be with this grade level Right. So you know what your expectations are in terms of of, I'm a teacher and this is what I'm teaching and this is the age range I'm teaching this year. Right. So then there's this other layer of expectation that I think I can speak from my experience. That's where I find my mismatch. Right. And it's things like the extras. It's like the the added, so in the international world, we have a lot of extra things like international day. We have um, sports day. We have, like, you know, these, these extra things. And yes, we are expected to be part of them. But I think that there's times where the expectations for what your role is on that day is not clear. And then that adds to, well, now I'm figuring out how to do this. Uh, extra activity that I didn't even know I was supposed to be able to do, you know, and teachers, number one complaint, I hear it time and time again. I hear it even just yesterday at the the uh, pre-conference session I was in. The one thing teachers say is there's never enough time. There's never enough time in the school day, in their own day sometimes to get all the things done. And so if we just let teachers, I wonder, Right. I, I wonder if we just let teachers do their job, what is in their job description and not keep adding to the plate without taking something else off. Would that idea of expectations shift? Because for me, I know what my job is. Right. But I'll do the boundary and say, that's not my job. Right. It, that's someone else's job. And I have to sometimes be careful to be like, yeah, I'll take that on. <laughs> Because that's not my job either, right? And so whose expectations? Well, sometimes I wonder, are they my own? They can be because I'm a perfectionist, right? But are there also often unnecessary expectations? A lot of teachers would say, yeah, why do I have to do that? Yeah. Right? It can be ambiguous. And that's when I think people feel they're getting to a point where they're burned out because they just can't keep up. They're always feeling like they're, like trying to go to the next rung of the ladder, but they're like, I'm still back there on that ladder. Like my to-do list is 10 miles long, right? And I'm just trying to do my job in my classroom. Yeah, so this, is, um, this is in the job characteristics that relate to burnout. Um, there's one called role ambiguity. Mm. 
And I think this is sort of this conversation, this idea that like you feel like you're signing up for one thing and then you find out it's a lot of other things, which I think is true for many jobs. And sometimes when you take this a little bit further, it can turn into what's called moral injury. So for instance, mm. you're asked to treat a patient and you're forced to treat a patient as a nurse that you don't actually think is going to get better and then doesn't get better. And But you're forced to do it even though you know it's not the right choice and the expectation is that you're going to, you know, do this like extra thing. And you're like, that is actually not what I signed up for. So I think this right. job ambiguity is a huge issue. Moral injury is a big issue. But when you first set expectations, what I what I heard in my head was like, well, the people that are going into teaching have the wrong expectations. But what you're really saying is there's just a mismatch of expectations between the people coming in and the people running the show. Is yeah. that does that feel correct or no? Yeah, I think so. And then if you add the layer that, you know, I know teachers in America move around, you might move districts, you might move schools, right? But I think there's more movement in international schools, right? Yes, there's always people leaving and there's always people coming into you to start the next year. And and what you just said about that, like that being ambiguous, is like, well, now that that person left who was always doing that thing, who's going to do it now? Or are we going to let it go? And my, I think one of my things I struggle with more recently, especially post-pandemic, is I feel, um, I don't know if I can say teachers as a whole, but I can say at my school, something that the teachers that I'm closer to that we're grappling with is what can we let go of, right? What we've yeah. learned from teaching online is that some things work well and some things don't online, but also in the classroom, yeah. right? So yeah. where do we let the things go that when someone leaves, it's not, it's like the natural attrition too, right? That it's also like mm -hmm. a natural, just let it go. That That's over now because that person left. And where do we hold on to the things that we do want to be sustainable as programs and practices and systems in our school? Um, because we believe in the importance of them for children. Yeah. So that internal stuff, I'll tell you, that's what... <laughs> Yeah. can also cause There's, a lot of that friction. Yeah, and that's a fight between between the external and the internal, right? Like that that's a that's a fight between expectations and perfectionism and people pleasing and ambiguity of the environment. Like there yeah. there's a there's a give and take there that I think is difficult. And then the next thing that you said was and this is interesting to me because we just talked about this expectation and who's going to step up and who's going to do this thing and who's not going to do this thing and I'm not going to do that thing. But then you spoke about one of the things that you think is a big problem is that sort of the idea of how collaboration works in schools and within teachers that you maybe weren't expecting, question mark? Mm -hmm. What do you yeah, mean? Collaboration. Well, collaboration is actually the one of the goals for our elementary school this year, right? We're looking at <clears throat> um, how, first of all, let's just look at how do people collaborate in the elementary school at ISM, right? And then everyone's definition of collaboration is different. So <laughs> that's an issue, right? Let's collaborate <laughs> our collaboration. But this is a constant problem. And this is a constant problem in education that if we don't define the terms and have an agreed shared understanding of that whether you whether you yourself think yeah that's the way i do it right 
what we're operating under, that umbrella has to be a shared understanding. Right. And, and that definitely adds to, um, well, are you collaborating? Well, I thought I was collaborating, <laughs> right? Because that's what it meant to me. Um, yeah. And then I sometimes wonder the value, like the value. So what I can say, I'm a collaborative person because I thrive by working with other people. And it is better for me to do that than to just be like, I'll just do it. I'll just do it on my own and I will, you know, sit there until it's absolutely perfect or I'll completely procrastinate because it's not fucking perfect. Right. So for me, right, there's my, there's my lead in that my 0.5 that I could, I could probably say I haven't burned out as a teacher yet, but I probably get pretty close and then bring myself back a lot because of this exact thing that I want to collaborate with people so that I'm not taking it all on. Yeah. But at the same time, I need to find the people that I can connect with to do that in a way that feels, you know, efficient. And yeah. And it's the the question of efficiency. like, am I, <laughs> am I adding things to other people's plate that I would say no to because I don't want to do that thing? Like, yeah, how do you, how do we encourage collaboration that doesn't, it, that doesn't require extra work? How do we make it mean less work? How do we make it mean? And I think that that's a troublesome piece too. Like on one hand, it's like, Hey, I can't step in and do that thing. So I'm okay to put up a boundary. But on the other hand, it's like, Hey, will you come in and do this thing? And so there's that, like, again, this push and pull. Yeah. And I think sometimes for me, I have to step back and say, well, it's not even my job to ask someone else who's going to pick up the ball. That's an administrator's mm -hmm. job. That's what they get paid for is to make sure that those, you know, like the, the cable girls, <laughs> that's an administrator's job to be able to like plug in and say, oh, I know someone else who has the same experience or has a slightly different, maybe they want to. That's not really my job. And it's not my job to, to suggest it. And I think sometimes <clears throat> as a teacher, right, what my job is, is to step in my classroom every day and deliver really good education and lessons about art to young children. That's literally my responsibility every day when I walk in the building. And so why should I have to do all these other things? Well, if I want to, because I have a passion for them, if I want to, because I have the time for them, right, then I will do them. And that should be how schools operate rather than, oh, we have a checklist and we need to do all of these things. And so we need all of these people to do it. And then when that one person leaves, because, you know, they've decided for whatever reasons they're going to another school, that thing, well, we really like that thing. And now we need someone else to do it. And often the people like myself, um, and this is not to pat myself on the back, but to just to say that People like myself step up and do it because I value that too. And I don't want to, but I'm trying to shift into more of the coaching where I say, you know, there's another person who I think would be a really good role for the, you know, role model for this. And they're doing these things in their classroom. And so why not ask them? You know? Yeah. And it's not yeah. to say you should do it. It's to say, go ask them. That's the other key part I think is, ask them. Yeah. Because, you know, on the one hand, a, a friend of mine once said, if you don't ask the question, the answer is already no. Yes. Right? So and if then you don't ask questions and the answer is already no. But if you ask them and they say no, that's also an answer. And, and but okay. they have to be, 
like I think there's the the difficulty in this and I believe in asking people and allowing them to make their own choices. I believe in treating other adults mm-hmm. like adults. The The problem is a lot of adults yeah. are not really adulting. And if they get asked to do something, like you said, like the perfectionist, the people pleaser comes out and says, yeah, I'll do that without even stopping. So mm-hmm. how many things are we taking on that we could have said no to that we assumed for some reason that we couldn't say no to mm-hmm. because of some other yeah. fear that's living in our like, I trust people to say no when I ask them things because I say no when people ask me things. But if you don't say no ever, then you don't trust other people to say no. So you're afraid to ask. And then when you do ask, the other person is afraid. to, And it's all of this mishmash where if we all practiced more of being present with what it is we can and can't do at any given moment and yeah. answering appropriately for that we would trust each other more and probably more things would get done well and things that can get taken off plates would get taken off plates because there would be no other option. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to go I'm clean some plates now. Yeah. So the other thing that <laughs> I wanted change to... The dish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing that I wanted to talk about with you, because I know that you think this is important and I've not, I've spoken about it maybe a few times on the podcast, which is, is never enough. And sometimes indirectly, I sometimes have a hard time with a lot of the sort of organizational, organizational psychology burnout suggestions because it's like, well, we have to fix the companies and then everything will be better. And it's really clear to me after the past seven years that it doesn't really, six years, it doesn't really work that way. And that these things that we bring in from our childhood last a long time, Mm -hmm. these coping mechanisms, et cetera. And while I can't go into every single family and change the parenting. Teachers have this additional risk and responsibility of either being a burnout risk factor or a protective factor for children as they're learning to cope and as they're practicing their coping mechanisms and as they're so how do you do you a do you feel that responsibility as part of their growth for how they manage life like do you feel do you feel some responsibility for that and b if there's a teacher that's like yeah i can't do that too like i'm here to teach and to educate not to be a psychologist and a mental health professional which like got it do you feel like there are some ways to easily allow children to be children while they're in your classroom so that they don't have to take advantage of so many coping mechanisms was that was a lot of questions Mm. in one sort of yeah so just to clarify the the more like my role and responsibility and like social emotional learning or parenting education or both (laughs) socio-emotional learning yeah okay well you know Here's the thing we do talk a lot about 
that social emotional learning is a core part of what we teach in the classroom, especially me. I'm an early years teacher. So for me teaching preschool and I teach art to grade to children ages three up to ages eight. And those are the formative years, right? When we talk about child development. So those are the years that when you're sitting in art class and somebody grabs your pencil, that teachers need to teach how to manage conflict. Mm. Yes. Um, And, you know, I think this is something I've been considering a lot um, because I do know it's part of my job for sure in a basic way, in a way that when you're in this zone, in this, um, sorry, if you're, if you're whatever uh, zone of regulation you are in currently, Mm -hmm. right, that you can manage yourself, one, that you should know how. And young children don't. So that is my job to help them say what you're feeling right now is anger because somebody took your pencil and you were trying to use it to color your dinosaur. Okay. That's okay. You can feel angry about that. Let's talk to that person and get the pencil back, right? And then let's talk to the person and say that next time you'd rather them say to you, can I use that pencil now or when you're done or whatever? So this is like a constant in my day. Yeah. But I think as kids get older, I feel like we're still doing that for them in a simple way and not a more complex way that they need for life. Mm. And you know, it depends to which part of the world you're teaching in, because like my experience, this is something that a friend of mine has said, my bestie friend, you know, here, who's um, also an American, the kinds of things that, that we hear families or kids need in terms of social emotional learning. I'm like, when I was a kid, my parents were like, go outside and play. (laughs) Right. And so the the way that the the I think the world has also shifted and the the things that kids need is very different. Sometimes I can't mm. relate to it, so I just have to be empathetic to it, right? And mm. sometimes you're like, "Look, I I need to teach art today. <laughs> like, <laughs> otherwise, I can't put a grade on your kid's report card." So also, mom and dad, you're gonna need to help them learn how to do this at home with brother and sister, you know. So yeah. yeah, there's a contention sometimes about like how much of my job is supposed to be teaching kids the social emotional and how much of my job and how much of the job of that job is a counselor's job, right? And yeah. how much are there other people in the school who could be doing that or supporting me better to do it? We have really great counselors at my school, so I'm appreciative of that. Um, but yeah, I think it depends on the grade level. I'm honest, because the level to which you need to do that right now, post-pandemic, is like far exceeding how much time I would have ever given it, ever given it. Um, And we've talked a lot about that this year, that this year in particular, some days at the end of the day, I'm like, did I teach an art lesson today? Or did I just teach kids how to like use materials without like cutting someone else's paper? (laughs) You know, but maybe that's the more important thing. Like there are there are studies that show that if somebody has an abusive parent, for instance, that makes Mm -hmm. that predisposes Mm -hmm. them to chronic stress and burnout. And yet if there is a another adult figure in their life that is a that that is a protector, it can help to balance out that relationship. Now, that is not a teacher's job 
to balance out an abusive parent. But knowing that some of your behavior could balance out this child's life experience is is like just such a big thing to me. You know, so it's like and I think especially post pandemic, like these kids didn't were not practicing this social emotional connection because they were on their computers and not with each other. No, during the pandemic, I was the social connector on a box. Everybody's little box on the screen. I was the one being like, oh, hey, you should check out the screen because, you know, whereas when they were could just all sit at the table together, maybe like, oh, what are you doing over there? (laughs) You know, it's like natural for them to do it then. You know, the the other side about that, the teachers, it's what comes into your classroom year to year or day to day can be very different. It's that's not a constant, you know, the constant is that you as the teacher know your, you know, I'm giving a talk about that this week, right? You know, what's in your toolkit and you know how to access that when you're in a situation that you need to use your social emotional thinking, your didactic versus, you know your creative or critical thinking, right? Like teachers, the the more you have experience teaching, you should be able to do that. Um, but there are the moments like you've described where there is a family situation that is really hard and you are that child's constant. You are that child's happy, smiling teacher, adult figure um, for that day, for that hour, right? And, and that is real. And, and part of that is the, the, the caregiver, right. Part that when you sign up to be a teacher, you're not a superhero. Like I'm going to dispel that myth for everyone right now. (laughs) You're not, I'm not a superhero. I'm a, I'm a human and I might be feeling superhuman sometimes, but you know, what I am is a caregiver and particularly for the young children where from moment to moment, they can be happy or sad or angry are all the things. Um, part of my job is not burning out so that I can still be that person for that child that year, that moment, that day. Like that's why I still, that's why I do this work and with myself. That's why I stay grounded in, in my boundaries because, you know, I love teaching. Like when I, when the door opened for me and I became a teacher, I knew that was it. I have not had one moment where I thought like, oh, I'm going to leave education until the pandemic because it was so hard to teach online, but now yeah. we're back face to face. Right. And I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, this is how we do this. Like we're building our stamina, but I don't feel like quitting my job. Right. Sometimes I feel like maybe the school isn't a good fit. Right. But I, I also felt that way in my previous two schools. Right. Like. I think that's very similar to other jobs. I think what you're talking about here is that there's this added layer, right? That when you're not the CEO of a company or, you know, in in some case, like a self-employed, you know, entrepreneur, you get to do those things for yourself or your other people. Like it's, it looks different, right? But you're still caring for people in your place of employment, but your level of that might be different. Um, so yeah, it's a reality. I guess that's the long answer to your question, right? Is well, it, I think is the reality the important, of I think the important piece here is what you said in that I watch myself and I watch my own burnout and I watch my own stress and I watch my own because I know that when I'm at my best, it's easier for me to do this job. 
And so I hold my boundaries and mm-hmm. I say no to the things because I know that when I'm at my best, it's easier for me to do this job. And I know that this job is demanding and I never know what's going to walk through my door that day. And so you're allowed to have a crappy day. Like you have, say you have your own kids and one of them didn't sleep at all last night. And then you get a phone call that your mother fell in the morning and broke her hip. And yeah. you're probably not going to be at your best that day in the classroom. And that's totally fine. However, yeah. My goal is always to be as good as I can be when I show up for podcast episodes, for clients, for speaking events, so that I can do this the best way possible. And this is the same for everybody else. And I think for teachers who are are constantly given all this extra stuff, I think it's so important to understand that you don't always do better by doing more. You're not always helping the way you think you're helping when you're saying yes to doing more, because if that is diminishing your ability to be in the classroom, like that, I feel like should be your goalpost. If you get asked to do something and it's going to diminish your your capacity for your classroom, it's a no from me, sister. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as an educator who's been teaching for 20 plus years now, I you know, I could talk about these things pretty openly because I just know how to respond to them now. Or I know how to say like, that's not my job. <laughs> right. And my current PL, I, you know, I love her. We came in to ISM together and she'll say, that's not my dragon to slay. <laughs> I just love it. I love that. Right. Because it's true. Like sometimes that's how it feels in big institutions, big systems that you're trying to change. You're not going to change it. And it's a huge dragon, right? Yeah. But is there one small part in the cog of the system that keeps it going that you're part of that you contribute to that yeah. the change will happen, right? Um, and and that's part of the plate thing we were talking about earlier. Like, what can you clear off the plate, right? Or maybe you didn't yeah. need to put it there in the first place because you weren't going to eat it anyway. I'm right. like, but I wanted the cake. Um, I know. <laughs> mm. When do, are there any? I, I think this is, you know, especially for international teachers, because that that's the community that you've been in now, you know, for a lo- larger part of your career. Mm. What is your like number one tip for them to say, hey, if you are on the edge or you fell off the edge, like where's where should they start? if they don't want to quit their jobs or don't have the financial ability to quit their jobs? Mm. You know, it's the, the relational piece. It's come coming back to your why, why Mm. are you a teacher? Why did you choose to be a teacher or, you know, why do you get up every day and come to your classroom? Because for me, that's the question I ask myself when I'm really tired or I've got a lot going on, like, you know, there are the moments where, you know, like Mel Robbins, you got to do the the five seconds and be like, get up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if I feel that way more, more often than I should, then I have to say, okay, what's going on here? And what's, what's my why come back to your, your inner knowing and your why and be able to say, okay, no, I'm here because I love teaching art. I love working with young kids and experiencing the magic of them learning how to do something they couldn't do before. 
and the joy of being part of that learning journey for that student. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's what makes me think, you know what, I'm not enjoying this as much because I've taken on too many things. So I need to let something go. Usually when I come back to my why, I can make a better choice for the balance of taking on or letting go. It would be I my, love it. my number one. Nikki, yeah. thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for letting me chat about teacher stuff. <laughs> teacher stuff matters. Teachers teacher are stuff. so damn important. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it yet. It's been hard for me to feel like someone was going to do it justice for a mm. long time. Uh, but this post-pandemic zone, it feels like we really need to talk about this. So I'm so grateful that you woke up at the ass crack of dawn to talk to us today. You are so welcome. All right, Fried Fam. That wraps up another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. Next week, should all things go to plan, I'm, you know, recording this ahead of time, so things could fall apart. But next week, should all things go to plan, we'll be talking to another teacher. And I want you to take a moment to maybe send some love to a teacher in your life and remind them of how important you think they are and how much you appreciate what they do for not only if they did something for you or your community or your children or your nieces and nephews or whoever it happens to be, because we lose all the teachers, folks. We're going to be in serious, serious trouble. As per always, should you have loved this episode and need to share it with somebody, please do share it everywhere that you can so that more people can find us and more people can find their way through burnout. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan